The commercial radio industry's new audience measurement system, Radio 360, is now live with the release of GFK's third Metropolitan Radio Survey. Radio 360 unlocks deeper and more valuable insights to few digital opportunities, giving advertisers a first look at radio's rapidly growing streaming audiences across all platforms and devices. Radio 360 provides accurate and granular information on radio audience listening and behaviours anywhere, anytime. To hear more about the benefits, visit Commercial Radio and Audio's website. My guest is Steve O'Connor, CEO of one of Australia's outdoor giants, JC Decoe. Steve's been there for a long stint, for nearly 19 years. He's been a director of the Outdoor Media Association for even longer, nearly 24 years. Even in a sector where people stick around, that's a long stint. So Steve, I think that's the obvious place to start. Welcome along. Um, How have you lasted in outdoor for so long? (laughs) Thank you, Tim. I've actually, I started in outdoor on my 30th birthday, actually, back in 1990. So that'll give you an idea for how old I am. But um, Yes, because I I noticed you were in sales. Was it the Sharp Corporation before? I was. I worked selling um, consumer electronics for Sharp for six years before I was coerced to come across and be the sales manager for for what was Buspack in in Victoria back then and uh, specializing and selling in um, bus and tram advertising. So, you know, the, the business has come a long way. And I, I suppose I have stayed in the in the business because it, it just evolved so much. I was lucky enough to be promoted a number of times. I came from, left Melbourne to come to Sydney as sales director for Buspack, then went to Hong Kong to start up um, Buspack in Hong Kong, came back to run the Buspack advertising group, and then ultimately became, uh, it was, I was the CEO of Australia, New Zealand and, and Hong Kong for a period of time. And then when um, uh, APN, News and media amalgamated their outdoor businesses at exactly the same time. I got tapped on the shoulder by JC Deco, and though we were a small business back then, turning over some thirty million dollars. So, and over the last nineteen years, it's it's been a, a fantastic journey in terms of growth and and innovation, and um, you know, working for the largest outdoor advertising company globally is it's, it's been fantastic as well. Just sort of uh, you know, the sort of experiences that I've I've, I've got I've, I've had through through that that tenure has, has been very motivating and. Yeah, warranted me staying. So that's um, it's been good. Well, I suppose one of the biggest changes in the landscape over the last decade has been this arrive of digitization of billboards. Um, how, as an organisation, how far along is JC Deco in that process? It, it well, it certainly varies by market. I think you know, in, in Australia, we are, you know, it's obviously a very sophisticated media market, sophisticated outdoor market, and we are well advanced on on on, um, on our digital journey. So we, if you look at just our Australian business, about sixty five percent of our revenues are generated from digital revenues. In New Zealand, it's it's up nearly at around about eighty. So um, you know, we're, we're well underway, and I think I suppose we're going through a, a little bit of a different stage now. In that you know, we've been heavily investing in building the the estate or the infrastructure and now we whilst we'll, we'll, we'll continue to do that and i think there's lots of scope to continue to invest in digital signs across a variety of the products that we have um, especially in street furniture um it's now about trying to act like a like a proper digital company and you know you, you, you know using data data driven decisions um doing um you know transacting on platforms providing ultimate flexibility to advertisers and things like that. So, you know, we've got a long way to go to becoming more of a sort of pure play digital business, but, you know, we're certainly well advanced. 
Well, let's uh, we'll, we'll we'll dig in a little bit more what that maybe means for kind of the programmatic environment in a moment. Something I'm sort of just curious about, just sort of thinking about it with um, that digitization of outdoors. How much has it changed the business dynamics? Because I presume effectively it creates more inventory because you can change faster. Um, it presumably, as as you talked about, there's that capital cost of putting all the electronic billboards in but when when you come to the other end then you know that that that's an asset you can do more with um what what does it actually do to 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 what any outdoor company's kind of profit and loss looks like um has it significantly changed the amount of revenue you can actually write it, it, it certainly has. As you said, we've certainly got a lot more inventory to sell. I think it's also had you know, quite a negative impact on the on the classic or traditional side of the business as well. So, you know, it's, um, we, um, yeah, so it's, it's given us a lot more scope to, ge- to generate revenue. It's also required us to upskill ourselves in a, com- in, a, in a completely different fashion. So effectively, we run almost like two parallel businesses now. We've got the digital business and we've got the traditional business, and that, and that requires completely different capabilities uh, in, in both those streams. So, um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's very, very different. For example, we've now got a very, very big technology team, whereas before we... <laughs> had a very small technology team so um, and also that's extended into different skill sets within marketing we've now got a very big data and insights team you know we've got data scientists we've got programmers we've got we've got people of you know with with a broad set of techno- technological skills so that and that that adds to the cost of course so you you're sort of in a lot of cases duplicating cost where before it was more of a, sort of a linear relationship between revenue and cost um yeah so i suppose that's that's what i'd say to that so um, what's your prediction for when does the last, I'm not sure the right phrase is, but print billboard come down? You know, when at what point are you 100% digital, do you think? I don't think we'll ever be 100% digital. I, I think long, long term, my view is that we'll sit around 90 to 95% um, split between digital versus classic revenues. I think that, you know, in, for example, there'll always be a role for, I think, Classic digital, classic billboards in regional markets, for example. I think that that will that will that's got a long way to run. I think there'll also be um, quite a few locations that are dedicated to more sort of directional or sort of point of sale type outdoor. So I think that's that's also will always uh, there was always got a role to role to play there. But you know, one thing that's that, that's evident is that you know if you've got a good site, you're going to digitize it because you've got much more potential from a revenue point of view. So it's, it's a sort of this natural attrition that takes place o- over time, and and quite often it takes it takes a while for that to to take place because of, you know the con- it, you always invest at the beginning of the contract cycles, and you know some of the contracts are in a long term contract, so they'll take a while for those to, to to end and 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 be relet and therefore you know be reinvested in. So it's still got a way to go, but I think ultimately it'll it'll be ninety percent digital at the very least. And I suppose what we're beginning to see now is this this move of the out of home industry generally to to kind of finally embrace programmatic. Um, do you do you see that more as a means of planning and delivery, or can you see real time trading becoming a key dynamic in in out of home? Do you think? I think we've got a few steps to take before we get to that real time real time planning. I think that um yeah, you know, we, we went to market with a 
slightly different proposition to to perhaps our competitors and what had been seen in outdoor before, where we are guaranteeing inventory. Um, so we have got some fourteen hundred uh, digital signs across Australia and New Zealand, of which we have made five percent of our inventory available on a sort of permanent basis. So there's surety in terms of inventory. Should somebody want to to uh, put their toe in the water with programmatic, so that that has that that's enabled us to give confidence to the market that there's going to be inventory available to to buy. So I think that's the the, the first step. Um, and obviously, there's improvements all the time happening with the technology to enable speed to market, the the um, availability of data to make the, to drive some of those decisions. And I think. More, you know, and I think what will happen more often is the you know, the, the ability for advertisers to run dynamic content at scale across that programmatic platform. So it's, it's, there's some, certainly some evolution to take place. I mean, we are doing quite well as a business in relation to programmatic. It's this year will be close to 10% of our digital revenues will be traded programmatically. So we are on the cusp of making a decision as to whether or not we open up 10% of our inventory permanently for, for to be traded programmatically and. Um, We've also got uh, some proprietary technology um, that enables us to sell share of time. So we can sell 5, 7, 10, 15, 20% share of time in, in, within that programmatic um, allocation. So again, providing advertisers with that sort of that ultimate, ultimate sort of flexibility. So um, yes, I think it's, we, we've made a big bet on programmatic. We've linked with a, with a proprietary system called, called VIEW, our, our, our sort of proprietary SSP. And we are linked in with, I think it's now in Australia, we've got about seven or eight DSPs we're connected to and globally over 20. So you know, we, we, we really see this as being the, the future. Mm, now, for, for listeners, SSP being sell-side platform, DSP being demand-side platform. And I, I suppose one of the things I, I find myself thinking about with a programmatic is for publishers, it wasn't all good. They ended up actually having their their CPMs, their, their their cost per thousand, driven down quite a lot. How do you guarantee you don't get sucked into that vortex of the programmatic being a force for driving down price? I think I think that's because there it, it, under that model there was a lot of remnant inventory that was made available, and as a consequence of that, that that uh, that that attracted some heavy discounting, but. In the case of our proposition to the market, we have made all our best sites available. So you can trade uh, you know, our best billboards, our best street furniture, and as a consequence of being able to provide advertisers with the flexibility um, to do that and also to you know, to cherry pick um, you know, specific sites uh, outside what we might normally sell as a pack, um, that, um, that, that has really resulted in a good uplift in our CPMs actually. So you know we are we're getting a premium, a good premium on our programmatic um, trading. And is this accessible at the moment only to agency partners, or are you finding direct advertisers are are, are able to kind of transact there as well? Well, we, we've got a, we've got a managed service. Uh, we're we're now connected with TV three hundred and sixty as well. So you know, direct advertisers who use those platforms can can access our inventory directly, not just through not just through the um, agency trade desk. So back in April, you changed the way that your offering can be bought and planned, and some of that is what we've just been talking about. Um, how have you restructured it, and and why? Uh, yeah, I think I think what we needed, to, well, what we were seeing is that um, advertisers were demanding greater levels of flexibility. So we um, we made a decision to um, 
to enable advertisers to buy a, a, across a range of different product formats. Um, and I think ultimately the one you're talking about there is where advertisers are given sort of ultimate flexibility to choose exactly what sites they want in a small format area um, of their own of their own accord. So um, it's pretty much bringing it into line with what you can purchase um, through you know using using small format digital that they can now purchase the classic format in exactly the same way. So we just felt that we needed to to provide greater levels of flexibility to open up the opportunity to be honest so um that's that's what we've done and that included um moving to kind of fortnightly rather than necessarily monthly uh, bookings as well yeah we've kept the digital at, at 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 weekly um and we've made the uh we've brought the um the, the classic sales period or display period into into line with others at, at the fortnightly fortnightly time frame which do you do you see your advertisers? Um, which formats do you see your advertisers getting the most value from at the moment? I think that really depends on on the per, on the purpose and what their what their objective is. Um, I think if there's more, if it, it, I think you know, for example, people the billboards have been very, digital billboards in particular have been particularly strong, and they tend to operate you know very very well at the top of the funnel. I think probably we're starting to see advertisers have got more of a sort of performance. Um, ambition that they they might use small format um, at, at, in in comparison to, to large format, but so yeah, it really depends on what objective they're trying to achieve. I think as to what what format they they choose, and we certainly advocate that that advertisers should be buying more than one format. We've we have seen from from the um, sort of research we've done and some of the ROI data we've we've received back that you know if advertisers are buying two formats that they should get that they'll get a stronger result. So a big change for JC Deco relatively recently was the loss of the City of Sydney contract, which went to QMS. Any regrets? Oh, of course, it's a it's a contract we would have would have loved to have loved to have kept, but um, but you know we, we we lost it in a competitive tender process. So you know that's 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 life in our in our game. Uh, we've certainly moved on f- from there. Um, we've we won Sydney trains subsequent to that, so we picked up all the small format advertising on the concourse and platforms and cross track, um, as as well as also giving us the opportunity to develop our um, our large format portfolio quite extensively. So we've effectively doubling our large format presence across the the um, Sydney trains real estate, you know, the roadside bridges, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, so we, we've moved on. We've certainly replaced the revenue that we lost out of the um, out of the city of Sydney loss. Um, yeah, when it comes up again, we'll have another crack at it. And um, with um, with with that changeover, obviously the, the street furniture changed. Um, which there was some criticism at the time that that presumably the old stuff would end up in landfill. I don't know if that's true or not. But could is there a better way of doing a handover at the end of this sort of contract? Do you think so that so that the stuff doesn't necessarily have to be scrapped? Uh, well, what we're seeing in, in in a number of markets globally is that there is a tendency to keep the existing infrastructure in the ground for longer you know, if it's if it's been well maintained and it still still fits it's still fit for purpose. There is there's the there is a desire by by cities to try to you know, squeeze the lemon as much as possible so there doesn't have to be any sort of replacement program unless I'm sorry unnecessary replacement program so um you know, we felt that our infrastructure was 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 in, was it was still in great nick we'd we'd we'd, we'd maintained it maintained it particularly well but that was a decision for the council and at the end of the day it was beyond our control. 
So you bought uh, APN Outdoor um, just almost exactly five years ago. I think it'll be five years ago next month for $1.1 billion. Um, that obviously was was uh, much more focused on large formats. Um, how much has that acquisition changed the dynamic of the company? Oh, a lot. Uh, we now they were considerably bigger than Chase Co at the time, um, but it was quite a complementary acquisition. I mean, they uh, APN, obviously a very high quality company, had a, a you know, strong focus on quality, very similar to what you know, Chase Co do. The um, the assets were quite complementary. We were sort of more in 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 street furniture, obviously, and some rail. APN were in bus advertising, billboards, and and airports, so they you know it gave us a, a really good uh, portfolio in those sort of five key segments, which we still sort of specialise in today. So it's still you know street furniture, billboards, rail, airports, and transit. So we're still very much st- stuck to our, our our swim lane in in relation to those five those five um, product areas. You know the 2019 was all about integration, and we did a pretty good job of integrating. Actually, I've got to say, I think we brought the, the uh, company, companies together pretty quickly. The the market, um, we certainly got some positive feedback from the market in terms of how we we service them, and and uh, hopefully didn't miss too much in that transition. And then we went straight into COVID in 2020. So it's been an interesting five years from you know um, from integration, three years of COVID, and now we're really sort of starting to in, starting to enjoy the, the fruits of our labour. To be honest. Well, let's talk about JC Deco as a corporate citizen. Um, let's start with carbon neutrality. You were you you were quite early amongst the media companies to um, to go down that path. Um, what have you done, and and where are you at? Because I know that you can you you're able to tell your advertisers that effectively they're buying in a carbon neutral way. Um, and I must admit, I don't really know what that means. So I'm hoping you can explain to me. Yeah, for sure. The whole ESG agenda it's, it's been it's been very high on, on our priority list for for a number of years. As you, as you said, in 2015, the JCDCO company um, was certified carbon neutral by Climate Active. Um, since then, we have um, we have um, provided or we provide all our classic products um, as carbon neutral as and, and as being they're being offset against Aboriginal carbon uh, carbon um, reduction programs fire burning programs that sort of stuff so all the classic products are, are carbon neutral so this is how it's achieved it's by effectively by buying carbon credits somewhere else yeah and and um, that links well with our, our reconciliation action plan um, but the it, it we have been uh, as a as a as a corporate uh, as a global corporate part of the RE100 for uh, for a period of time now, which is a pledge to to make sure that you use 100% renewable en- electricity for all your all your energy needs. We JCDCO Australia achieved that in 2022, so that's obviously a big tenet of our of our commitment to um, to decarbonising. Um, and in terms of you know we're doing other things in terms of uh, reducing our car- our environmental impact. We've we're changing all our lighting to LED, and that will be complete by the end of this year. We uh, we've got uh, we're just putting the final touches to a switch off program where we will be switching off a lot of our assets for four hours in the middle of the night. Um, so so a number of different things in terms of making sure that we are more environmentally responsible. Um, and as I mentioned, we're also um, doing quite a few things in terms of. Um, as sort of social initiatives, we have uh, we launched our RAP in, in March 2022. This is Reconciliation Action Plan. Correct. Yep, and that links well with the um, our carbon offset 
program where we are committed to um, offsetting those the, the carbon produced by those formats using Aboriginal um, fire reduction programs and, and and programs like that. So, so what else is it is there in the action plan? Um, it, it is a big commitment to training. Um, we had a an information session last Friday where we educated our um, our staff about the voice um, and what what that means. And obviously, we're not there to put forward recommendations as to how they should vote, but trying trying to educate them about what what it means and and uh, and you know, obviously giving them the choice to to make to make a decision on that. Um, there's a there's a commitment to Aboriginal employment, so we're working through through that at the moment. Um, yeah, I was going to ask about that because I know in the plan, um, you're sort of you'd set yourself a deadline of I think last June to build a business case for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander employment, um, and and also for procurement from First Nation businesses, which I guess you've just a, a, a alluded to one example from carbon neutrality. But the the employment business case now that you've presumably built that case, what do you do with that now? Um, I think we're still working through how we how we implement that, and and uh, we we we've made the decision that we won't be able to do that on our own. We'll certainly need the assistance of of of, of some organisations to to help us in, on that cause. So I think we're just working through the, the the implementation stages of that at the moment. But we are very much committed to increasing our our uh, the number of um, Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander employees as a as a percentage of our workforce, which must be a, a challenge for lots of major employers. Um, where where do you start? What is the help you need? I think we we'll, we 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 reflect on a we had a school based trainee program in place a number of years ago here at JCDCO where we brought in a number of. Um, Young, younger Aboriginal kids who were who were encouraged to finish their their HSC, but and and but in parallel with that could run a could do a trainee program through 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 TAFE and uh, and we facilitated some employment options for that. We did notice that there was quite a, especially that younger age group quite a bit of pastoral care requirements, so we needed a consultant to help us with that through that journey. Um, and I think there's also, you know, there needs to be certain mentoring requirements and and things like that. So. Yeah, I, I think we're very much at the early stages of trying to work out how that's all going to play out. But um, that's a couple of examples anyway. Um, going more widely to kind of the agenda for the uh, outdoor advertising industry as a whole, um, you've, as I said, right, in, right at the start, been involved with the Outdoor Media Association for pretty much your entire outdoor career. Uh, currently, the organisation has a new CEO in Elizabeth McIntyre. Um, what do you see as the agenda for the industry at the moment? I think we've got a couple of you know, very, very big priorities within the um, within the outdoor the outdoor industry at the moment that uh, that we want to see really focused on. Obviously, the launch of Move Two Point Zero is a is a is a very, very big piece of work, and it will be a very meaningful piece of work for our success. So the um, so that is a very, very big priority for for the um for the industry association who manage that whole yeah so move that that's the um i always try and remember what it stands for measurement of measurement of outdoor visibility and exposure <laughs> that's right <laughs> and and that launched uh i suppose uh, i remember being at the launch it was a bit over a decade ago now um and that really was about providing um advertisers with a bit more transparent transparency about what they were actually buying when they were buying at any individual site correct it was just it was it was it was basically an audience measurement system um 
and we launched that back in 2010. So this is the first crack at we've had a really, really changing that. So it's a completely new system. Uh, Ipsos are at the lead of that. Uh, we're hoping to launch in the first half of next year. Um, and then, you know, it's going to have so much data because we'll be having, we're covering all formats, we're covering all markets, including regional markets. It's, um, we get, we'll, you'll have hourly data. So there's a, a you know, fire hose of, of data there. So we've got to work through how we actually, you know, feed that into the market to make sure that people aren't overwhelmed with it. Um, so there'll be lots of fantastic insights that, that come from that over the course of the next few years. So that's a big, a big piece of work. Uh, the regulatory affairs area for the OMA is again a, a big priority. So you know, there's obviously there's quite a bit of talk about certain advertising category bans, and and um, and we need to make sure that we uh, we're at the forefront of those com- those conversations. So there's lots of work to be done in that that area too. Um, hey, that's a good good one. I hadn't really thought about that from the outdoor point of view because obviously there's been a lot of hint uh, heat around sports betting on television. Does the does the outdoor industry have a position on um, on where sports betting ads should and shouldn't be placed in outdoor environments? We've been quite proactive, so we we don't. Um, if in some markets it's actually legislated against. So, for example, in Victoria, they've got very strict rules and 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 legislation around placement of gambling advertising. In other markets, it's 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 a little bit more lenient, but we have aligned the gambling. Um, advertising with our alcohol prohibition policy which effectively enables us or enforces us not to put advertising within 500 meters of a school uh, sorry 150 meters of a school i should say so we uh, we're trying to be trying to be proactive in terms of making sure that we are on the on the front foot and getting ahead of what the you know perhaps the community concerns are and perhaps any legislative changes that might that might um, might take place but yeah, I think we recognise the fact that we're a responsible industry and we want to make sure that we uh, minimise our impact uh, 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 of that advertising amongst those people that are more vulnerable. And we've mentioned um, already your your acquisition of APN Outdoor. I'm wondering if you see room for any more consolidation in the market. Uh, would you Would you ever see QMS part of the family, for instance? Well, as you said before, we you know we spent one point one million dollars buying APN back in twenty eighteen. It was a it was a big bet, uh, you know, and um, and you know, timing wasn't perfect given that we just we we went straight into uh, into COVID. So, yeah, I think we we want to make sure we we um, we we, um, we we make the most the most of that acquisition for for the, for the time being. So, if something does come up with QMS, obviously we'd have a look at it. But at the moment, it's not on our radar. <laughs> and and anybody else, if not QMS. I don't know. You'd have to ask them, Tim. To be honest, I, I yeah, that's um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I couldn't say. Would, wouldn't know. I'd only be speculating. Steve, thank you so much for your time. That's all right, Tim. Thank you very much. Unmade podcast edit by Abe's Audio.